So hello, Sue. Welcome. So Hi, Julie. It's great Hi. to finally see oh, you in person. It is. Of. It's fabulous to have a chat. So this is the Spoonies with Purpose podcast. My name is Julie. I am the MECFS holistic coach. And part of my mission is to support people to make their lives more easy and joyful whilst having purpose with chronic illness. And I've got here with me today, Susan Jackson or Sue. Would you like to introduce yourself a little? Sure. Um, I'm Sue Jackson. Um, I live in Delaware in the United States on the East Coast. Um, And uh, I think we're going to get into some of the history in a few minutes, but um, very happy to be here today because Julie and I have worked together for a long time. Yeah, we have. It's goes back years, I think. (laughs) Anyway, let's jump straight in to hearing a little bit about your experience with chronic illness. I think people like to hear the story behind the person. Right. And um, as Julie pointed out before we started, my story is a very long and complex one, but I'm going to try to keep it very short here. Um, So I first got MECFS in 2002. March 1st, 2002, I was feeling great living a very active, full life. I had two young sons, um, married. I had actually taken a break from work because I wanted to just calm things down a little bit. My job involved a lot of travel. So it was at a point in my life of just feeling very calm and happy. And then I woke up on March 2nd with the worst sore throat of my life, um, achy all over, just feeling like I could barely get out of bed. And of course, that's familiar to anyone with MECFS. I thought I had the flu, but of course, it never went away. And um, spent the next year seeing doctors, having blood tests, you know, all to no avail. Um, Finally, about a year later, I just happened by chance to find a new primary care physician who knew what at the time CFS was and recognized it in me. And I didn't want to believe it at first, but I did a little research on my own. And I was like, this is the first time in a year that I'm reading descriptions that perfectly match what I'm experiencing. So that began my own process of accepting this new life of chronic illness. But then in 2004, both of my sons also got ME-CFS. And they were just six and 10 at the time. So that was devastating to us. Flash forwarding almost 20 years to the the present. Um, My younger son, his was always milder. And so he is fully recovered. Um, He spent about 10 years with mild illness. And by 16, he was fully recovered. He is living, you know, a normal, full, active life, full-time job. Um, He's 24 now. My older son at 28 still has ME-CFS. He and I both also got Lyme disease and he got a couple of other tick infections as well. So he's battling all of that still, but he's doing quite well. He's working almost full-time, looking for a full-time job, living on his own with his girlfriend. So, you know, things are going pretty well now, but it's been a very long journey. 
And yes, that was the short version. <laughs> yeah, so not only is that a story of you and living with chronic illness, but also a story of you being a mother to yes. two young people with, with chronic yeah. illness. And there is nothing more devastating as a parent than seeing your children suffer and feeling helpless. It's awful. Yeah. This is all about purpose, and I'd like to ask you quite a general question, really. What does purpose mean to you? Well, I actually grappled with this long before I got sick in my, you know, pre-life. I had a career in engineering and consulting, and um, they kept giving me these quizzes to find out which career path I would be best for me. But all their quizzes were focused on the technical path or the management path. And it didn't work for me. None of those showed anything, you know, and my supervisor was stumped. And then he dug around and found another quiz. And I took that one. And that one showed very clearly that what was most important for me in my career was being of help, Um, having a positive impact on the world, feeling that the work I was doing was purposeful and was somehow helping the world to be a better place. So after I got sick, that sort of, it took me a while, but I realized I could still apply that same purpose to my new life with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way you were thinking about that, really, because I think sometimes we have to repurpose old traits when we come yeah. into life, living with chronic illness the old things that we used to do don't fit anymore, but we can sort of adapt those things into life as it is right now. Absolutely, yeah. So you came to choosing to make the world a, a better place in some way. <laughs> right, right. So when I first got sick, I mean, at first, especially with my kids sick as well, I was very focused on just our very small world, you know, Um, and right from the start, I was focused on two things, the physical side, finding treatments that would help improve our lives Mm -hmm. so that I knew we'd still be restricted, but so that we could, you know, live a little more freely. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other side of that was more the emotional side, the coping side, particularly with my kids. That is kind of a parent's purpose in life is to, you know, to grow adults who are happy and mentally healthy, um, content with their world. And, you know, so as a parent, I'm thinking, now we're dealing with this devastating thing. Three of the four of us in our family were sick often really severely, how do we, how do I teach my kids that we can still enjoy life? You know, we can still be at peace and accepting and, um, you know, content with our lives. And so I started out in that small realm. Well, that's such an important realm, isn't it, really? Yes. I mean, Purpose doesn't have to be a huge expanding out to lots of people purpose. Finding a meaning in what you're doing and what is in front of you is a really important way of having purpose as well. And 
I can't think of a better purpose than helping your loved ones deal, deal with a life's challenge and try and be as happy and peaceful as they can with what, what they're going through. So. Right. It's been interesting because I've found that when other things come up in our lives, aside from illness, um, you know, we had a big crisis with our older, with our younger son after he was healthy. He was overseas on a study abroad trip in Italy and something terrible happened to him. He had to cut his program short. We had to figure out a way to get him home. It was really upsetting. But, you know, at one point my mother said to me, how are you so calm? How are you, how are you holding up? I mean, what? (laughs) And I was just like, you know, we've been training for this. (laughs) Yeah. Our lives with chronic illness are always unpredictable. Yeah. You know, there have been so many times when we've been planning on doing something and then had to cancel or, you know, things happen. And I think my kids have grown up with that attitude too. You know, I think we can weather life storms aside from chronic illness better because this life has kind of trained us to expect the unexpected and kind of roll with the punches and whatever happens, you know, it happened and we have to move forward. Absolutely. Being trained in adaptability and weathering the storms. (laughs) (laughs) A silver lining. (laughs) Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you. So how do you find the balance between being purposeful and taking great care of yourself with chronic illness because that's such an important thing to do isn't it it is and it is a challenge for sure because the the step that I skipped there was that eventually I realized I could share what we had learned with other people and that has become extremely important to me on both sides of that equation the the physical treatment side because we have found things that help in, in a disease where people are constantly told by doctors that there's nothing that will help, mm-hmm. um, but also on that emotional, mental health coping side as well. So that's become my broader purpose to yeah. connect with other people, to reach other people, um, to share what we've learned through our experiences. And, you know, I think you put your finger on the most difficult thing of all, because constantly trying to help other people can be exhausting, Mm -hmm. especially when you have limited energy to begin with. So I would say, you know, one thing is that I've developed a daily routine that works for me, that prioritizes self-care. And it's very frustrating to me at times because it takes so much time to care for myself. But I've recognized, you know, I won't be able to do anything if I, if I don't first take care of myself. Absolutely. So, you know, that daily routine includes um, some very gentle morning yoga stretches when I first get up. It includes... Um, healthy meals, which require a little preparation sometimes. It includes taking a nap every single day. You know, um, it's just, I learned 
well, I read a book early on about MECFS that really changed things for me because it described the post-exertional malaise, the, the exercise intolerance, and it talked about proactive rest. And that to me was mind blowing. Yeah. Um, but it changed my life because I began taking a nap every day after lunch. And I'm usually worn out by that anyway. <laughs> I explain to healthy people, I'm like a phone with a really old battery. <laughs> Yeah. I can get a full charge at night and by one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, I'm getting the <laughs> almost out of battery signal. Yeah. Um, but that daily nap really helps. It recharges me and allows me to still have a little bit of productive time in the late afternoon and evening. Yeah. So, you know, I would say that daily routine is very important because when it comes right down to it, I will too often choose to help other people than to care for myself. If it, yeah. if it comes to making that split second decision. Yeah. And yet the structure contains that, doesn't it? If you have exactly. that nice routine, you kind of know what bits of time and energy you've got to apply to different things. Exactly. So I know every day I've got like two to three hours of productive time in the morning um, usually another two hours after my nap and then I'm done for the day. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm lying down every day by seven 30, um, yeah. in the evenings, my husband and I watch some TV together. We read together before bed. And that's like, I need that. I need to turn my brain off. I need to be lying flat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And during the day, um, my office is a recliner. I've got my feet up, you know, to help with the orthostatic intolerance. And so, yes, I've learned how to work around it. And I know where my pockets of productivity are. Now, there are still, despite the treatments that have helped, there are still some days when I wake up, just like any of us with this disease, you know, and I can barely get out of bed. And I'm yeah. like, it's going to be one of those days. Yeah. But that's also something I've learned to cope with. I call that a plan B day. Yeah. And for me, you know, that triggers in my mind, forget everything you meant to do today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see what my husband can help with, see what doesn't need to be done today, put it off and then just take care of yourself. Yeah. And fortunately for me in the state I'm in now, usually a day or two of just resting will will bring me back to my normal baseline yeah. that that actually really matches my experience i i call them recuperation days rather than <laughs> B days but again it's the same thing on a recuperation day you let go of everything you can possibly let go of and it's focused on just resting and recuperating absolutely and, um, as long as I respond straight away, as long as long as I do that, usually it is only a couple of days nowadays. So, yeah, that's good. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about purpose. So you like to share about both the physical treatments and what can help physically and also the emotional coping. Right. So tell us about how you do that. So, um, you know, I, I am a writer. I was writing a long time ago in my previous life. Um, so that's what 
that's where I started because that's what comes naturally to me. Um, I started before blogs were really even a thing with, um, I think, the first sort of blogging platform, which was called Live Journal. Just instead of my writing my journal on paper, I would write it online. Um, you know, this was the early days, so there wasn't a lot of interaction. But by 2007, I had started the blog that I still have today, mm-hmm. um, which is Live With MECFS. And that blog, like my purpose, has, you know, both treatment information, latest research, but also a lot of the more inspirational, supportive kind of articles as well. Um, and, you know, I started it just because I felt like I had to capture what was happening in our lives. Mm-hmm. And when the first person wrote a comment, you know, way back in 2007, it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, there are other people out there. And um it is so supportive when you find other people going through the same stuff you're going through, especially since for most of us, the people around us, particularly in the early days, just don't understand. They can't understand no. without experiencing it. Yes. So that sense of community I found so powerful. And I think that's what really cemented my purpose, my current purpose. Um, so besides the blog, which kept growing, I also began um, support groups, and I started with an in-person support group um, for parents whose kids had MECFS. And I had just, on my own, run into four other moms that were in the same position. Um, Two from an online discussion board at the time, um, and I found out they lived near me. Um, One was like the neighbor of a good friend of mine, Um, One was a mom who took her dog to the vet. The vet happened to be one of my closest friends. And this woman was in the vet visit and suddenly just started sobbing, (laughs) just broke down. And she was like, I'm sorry, my daughter's really sick. And she's got this thing called chronic fatigue syndrome. And the vet just looked at her and said, you need to call a friend of mine. So in this, you know, very random kind of way, um, a guidance counselor at the school referred another family to me. We, I I brought this initial group together and us like five moms had lunch together. We talked nonstop for two hours. We all completely understood what the others were dealing with. We were best friends by the end of that lunch. And next, we we had a family gathering so our kids could meet because they were the ones, which was life-changing for them, meeting other kids dealing with the same illness. Yeah, just, and we invited, we started inviting other families. So that group is now about 40 local families. Um, Not all sick kids anymore. There's some, you know, that are sick adults like myself. Um, I used to be the odd person out in the group, but... (laughs) And, um, and then the, the local group was so successful and just brought so many benefits to me as well as to the others that I decided to start some online groups too. So the first was mimicking our in-person group online. It's a parents group, um, still operating now about 12 years later. They are 
Um, I'm not running it anymore. I pass the baton. One of those self-care things and balance things. I, yeah. you know, I realized something had to give. Yeah. But the group now has like 2000 members, parents from all over the world. Wow. It has retained the compassionate, supportive atmosphere that I wanted. So, um, and then, you know, some other online support groups as well. And some of it just happens through social media, like chronic illness. Twitter is an amazing thing. I, I actually have a separate account for dealing with chronic illness stuff mm -hmm. so that I can be completely honest and open. And I only follow people, you know, who are also dealing with chronic illness of different varieties. And it is such a supportive community for the most part. You know, you yeah. hear all this stuff about Twitter being, you know, poison and everything, <laughs> but not, not in my Twitter world. You know, my Twitter world is all people who understand each other. And it's mm. another way to connect and to reach out to people. I think I saw a study at one point. Um, I can't quote it, but that basically said that, um, they'd studied online communities um, and social media for different chronic illnesses. And they found that the most active communities on social media were the ones where the, the illnesses were, were not well understood by the medical profession. Right. I mean, when you go to see a doctor and they say, there's nothing I can do for you. I mean, you have to turn somewhere else, right? Yeah. 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 So that's the support groups and that's the blog. I think you have one more thing to tell us about. Don't yes. You? <laughs> um, so one thing that grew out of this and I continued freelance writing, including working yeah. with you at ProHealth. Um, so in 2020, I published a book, Finding a New Normal, Living Your Best Life with Chronic Illness. So the book is entirely the emotional side, the mental health side. Um, it is for any kind of chronic medical condition. I mean, everything from, you know, heart disease to arthritis to whatever you're dealing with, it's meant to be a guidebook to help you cope. So there are sections on um, emotional coping, on daily living, and I've tried to make it all very practical advice based on our experiences. So, you know, hopefully it's inspirational as well, but it's meant to be a helpful guide to, to actually offer some practical tips that you can put into practice in your own life. There's a whole section on relationships because that is a very challenging thing with chronic <laughs> illness, yeah. both establishing new relationships and somehow maintaining those older relationships now that your life is so different. So, you know, I've tried to cover all of that in here um, in a very easy to read style. Yeah, I have to back you up on that. From my <laughs> experience with working with you and your writing, I know that it is very, very easy to digest. And there's also a, a lovely balance of practical support and inspiration. So, oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. And, and I have um, read you know, some of the uh, book, which is great, <laughs> but I haven't quite got to the end yet. I'm well, some of it was based on things that I published in ProHealth that you edited. So yeah. I have you to thank for that. 
fabulous, lovely writing. And I, I hope it continues to support lots and lots of people. I do because too. It's, it's not a book that, that's going to change over time. I think everything that you've, you've written in that is right. going to be just as relevant in five, ten years' time as it is right now. I think so, too. The ways we connect might change a little bit, but I yeah. think that um, it's based on 20 years of experience. So I think it's still relevant. Absolutely. Well, it's been a real delight talking to you, Sue. Is there anything else you want to share around purpose before? before we say our goodbyes I don't think so I think you covered everything I think this uh this was a great discussion and um as I said it's just so exciting to finally talk to you in person after (laughs) working together for so long it's um and I I'm a huge fan of your your blog and your podcast and you know I follow all of it so thank you very much thank you very much so Spoonies with Purpose also has a Facebook group. So I just want to mention that before we finish. So if you would like to join a group of other people who are trying to balance their well-being with having a sense of purpose, I have a Facebook support group for that as well, which the details will be around somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for joining me, Sue. Thank you for setting this up, Julie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.